Man, Brandon's got me getting all emotional before, before this. I'm crying, thinking about, laughing about stupid stuff with Alex in high school when we were like 15 years old. Um, oh, yeah. I put it exactly where Tad told me. Right? Is that better? That's, that's good? Okay. Um, <clears throat> Okay, yeah. Well, uh, I'm Nick Hatton, um, and I am a member here at Midtown Baptist Temple, and uh, normally, well, I'm a part of the College and Young Adult Fellowship today. I'm up here with you all, and uh, I'm grateful and I'm, I'm humbled to, to, be, to be here. Um, and before I get into my study, I just want to take a second to say that um, I, I'm, I'm so grateful for Midtown Baptist Temple. Um, my, my whole walk with, with God has happened alongside you all. Um, so I, I've learned how to walk with the Lord with you all. I've learned how to serve God with my life, like alongside all of you. So uh, you guys are all very special to me. Um, I'm so grateful for the investment that so many of you have made into my life and into the life of my family members. Um, so I could go on and on, but uh, I'll just say that I, I, I love you all. And uh, I thank God for this local church. Um, this morning, we are going to be in Luke chapter 16. Um, Verses 1 through 8. And um, this passage, what we see here in this passage, is Jesus telling the disciples the story of the unjust steward. Okay? Uh, and, and I was looking back at old notes from when I looked at this passage previously, and my final line in my notes was, don't be an unjust steward, comma, Nick. Period. So that's where I got my title. Um, but uh, in this passage, we see a lot happening. It's one of my favorite passages. It's very practical. Um, there's stuff about like handling wealth and resources, and we're going to talk about that, but not too in-depth, so the college students don't have to check out, right? We're not going to just talk about money up here or whatever. Um, we also get this really good example of, what, like, of how the steward and the rich man also picture how the world lives and operates and thinks. So we're going to look at all these things and then some additional things as well. Um, but I'm going to pray, and then we're going to get right into it. Um, God, thank you for today, Lord. Um, we're so grateful for you and for, for your word, Lord, and for how it uh, reveals to us um, where we fall short, uh, how it reveals to us your love for us. Um, and God, we want to be reproved and corrected because of it. Um, God, I pray that you would just move me aside this morning, that my nerves, uh, that they wouldn't get in the way of, of your word going forth and um, people hearing it. And, uh, you know, potentially having their lives changed. Um, God, we want to be changed by your word. We're new creatures in you, and uh, we want to hear from you this morning. So, uh, in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, let me just take one sip of water, and then I'm going to read this passage. So, again, Luke 16, verses 1 through 8, if you're following along. Okay. And he said also unto his disciples, so this is Jesus talking to his disciples, there was a certain rich man which had a steward, and the same was accused unto him that he had wasted his goods. And he called him and said unto him, How is it that I hear this of thee? Give an account of thy stewardship, for thou mayest be no longer steward. Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig to beg, I am ashamed. I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of the Lord's debtors unto him, and said unto the first, 
How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write fifty. Then he said to another, How much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, and write fourscore. And the Lord commended the unjust steward, because he had done wisely. For the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Okay, so we're going to break this passage up into three different sections. We're going to start off in verses 1 and 2, and those, those verses will be right there if you, want to re, uh, if you want to read through those again. But what we see happening here in these two verses is we see these two characters, right? We see the steward and the rich man. And uh, right off, Jesus lets us know that the rich man has caught wind. He's, it's been made known unto him that the steward, who's supposed to be managing his resources, was wasting his goods. So he, he calls to the steward, and uh, he demands that he give an account of his stewardship. And then also he fires him from that position. He says, thou mayest be no longer steward. Um, so the rich man is making the steward take inventory face to face with him about how he handled the resources that he was entrusted to take care of with the time that he had them, right? Um, so, to understand this more, we're going to look at uh, two terms, first of all, which is stewardship and steward. We're just going to define these words biblically, because if we don't, we don't understand the passage moving forward, why this account would have to take place. So the word stewardship is defined as the management of a household or of household affairs, specifically the management oversight and administration of someone else's property. Okay, the word steward then means to manage by way of dispensing, ordering, and or regulating. So we look at these definitions, um, and a steward is comparable to what a manager is in our world today, right? They, they're managers of, of things. Um, they're decision makers, they're advisors, they're consultants of sorts, and they do all of these things on behalf of another or on behalf of a group of other people, right? They make decisions with another person's resources. Resources, in a sense, would include uh, wealth, assets, and property, um, any of these things, these physical things of which they have oversight. Okay, now it's really important to note that uh, the resources under management of a steward are not owned by that steward in any way. Right? They're not, they're not owners of these things that they're overseeing. Oversight and ownership are two different things. And losing sight of that difference was this steward's first mistake. And in, in, in our own lives, oftentimes it's also our first mistakes when we go about wasting the resource of our master, right? When we go about wasting God's resources or even just other resources that, that belong to other people in our, in our lives. Stewards are only afforded the opportunity to use the resources of their master. They're only afforded the opportunity to do it. And while it may be true that a manager of one's assets does get to take part in the enjoyment of those assets, the usage of them, uh, just by way of association, the use and enjoyment of them must always be for the profit of the master. That's the constant rule throughout the use of these resources. The moment a steward gets it twisted and says, okay, time to use the resources of my master to profit myself is the moment that a steward has began wasting the resources of their master. Um, so I'm, I'm, I think we all get this, but just for the sake of an example, um, Allison Wilson or Alyssa Sloss, they will, these are two girls, um, a part of Kaya Fellowship. Occasionally, 
they come over and watch my son while my wife and I go out on a date or uh, when we come to like a ministry meeting or something like that. And when they're there, I always say the same thing to them before, before we leave. I say, you know, you can, you can do whatever you want in, you know, in the house. You can eat the food if there is any food in there. Uh, you can, if you get lunch, let me know and I, I'll Venmo you back for, for what you spend on food. I'd like to pay for your food. I ask them if they, if they need to know how to use the TV. And that's a test, because if they don't know how to use a TV, this day and age, they're not fit to watch my son. And that's, that's, that's the last thing. They're getting kicked out the door. But generally, they don't need instructions on how to use a TV. Now, if I got home at the end of the night and I had found that my TV was gone, it was missing, right? They, and, I, and I said, well, what happened to the TV? And they, their response is, well, we sold it to get some extra cash. Well, that you, uh, Allison and Alyssa, I don't know if you're in here, I don't, I don't see you, but just know that we're going to have to sit down and we're going to have to take account of your stewardship of the resources that I have at my disposal, right? Um, you know, there are a couple of things that a follower of Jesus Christ has to understand about stewardship to approach our resources that we have at our disposal with the correct perspective and essentially, you know, things we have to know not to waste them. Now, the first thing we're going to talk about here is, is that as followers of Jesus Christ, nothing is truly ours. Nothing is. Psalms chapter 50, verses 10 through 12 says this, For every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle upon a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine and the fullness thereof. Everything is God's. Everything. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 18 and 19 says, Behold that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink, and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him. For it is his portion, every man also, to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor. This is the gift of God. Now, all that we have has been given to us by God. It is a gift that we have resources at our disposal, right? Psalms 50 says the world is his and the fullness thereof, right? If God were hungry, he would not tell us. He would not tell us. Why would somebody who has everything within his reach tell us if he's in need of something, right? And then you contrast that to how we are, to how, to how I am. For example, when I'm hungry, I become a parakeet who only knows to say different variations of the phrasing of words, I'm hungry. It's just, I'm, hung I'm starving. I need food. Should we cook food? Do we have food? Hannah and I, will get my wife, we'll get in a conversation after 8 p.m. when our appetites build back up, uh, where for 10 minutes straight, we just tell each other how hungry we are, back and forth. It's like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry too. So am I. And eventually, we're both like, oh my gosh, nobody is going to feed us if we don't get up and do it ourselves. And she usually makes nachos. I get a bowl of cereal, um, sometimes too. Um, but, uh, you know, just like my one-year-old son cries and tells me when he needs food, when he's in need of anything, I never stop doing that. I'm still just like my son doing that all the time. I need, I need, I need. God does not need. God provides because he is the source of all that is needed, right? So nothing is ours, church, and what God gives to us, we are called to be faithful stewards of those things. Luke 16, verse 12 says, And if ye have not been faithful in that which is another man's, who shall give you that which is your own? 
So this is the question that's focused. It comes after the, the passage we're in today. Um, and if we, I think if we switch slides, it's the next slide. Um, <clears throat> but it's referencing physical things, right? Stuff that we can like, actually take good care of in our lives. Stuff, physical stuff. Uh, but it's a question, right? And the question insinuates that there's an expectation to be met uh, when handling things. Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 2, uh, the Apostle Paul tells us, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful, right? We're called to be faithful in our stewardship of the resources that God gives us in reference to the things that we can hold on to. If nothing is truly ours, and if everything is just given to us, then we, we actually do not have anything to waste. Another important note is that we're not only called to have oversight of physical resources that God gives to us, but we must be faithful stewards of our spiritual resources as well. Okay, the Apostle Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 1, let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, as every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So we see these titles, right? The stewards of the mysteries of God and the manifold grace of God. And these are not physical things. I can't hold them up and show you what they are unless I hold up this book, right? I can't, I can't show you what they are otherwise. In those titles, we're being told to have oversight of things revealed to us in God's word, in his book, which includes a lot of different things, right? We, we're told to make disciples. We're told to teach and preach the Bible. We're told to endure persecution. We're told to take part in the fellowship of suffering with Jesus Christ. We're told to continue on in the mission that Jesus Christ has made known unto us as long as he would have us do that. And then we're told that with our lives we are to glorify God, right? This is all ours to have oversight of, and none of it is physical, none of it has worldly value, it can't be bought, it can't be sold. I can't compare any of those things to the US dollar in terms of value. They're just not physical. So in addition to our physical resources, we must be good stewards of these spiritual resources as well, which God all the same has given to us. And, and why does this matter? Like, why does any of this matter? You know, why, why shouldn't we have the classic Western civilization mindset of, well, what's mine is mine. And I'm going to do what I want with my stuff and nobody's going to tell me otherwise, right? Why, why shouldn't we have that mindset? You can. You can have that mindset. Um, but just like the steward in Luke 16 was commanded to, to account for his stewardship, we will have to stand face to face with a God who is perfect and holy, and we will be told to take inventory of what we did with his resources in our own lives. Amen. Romans 14, verse 12 tells us, so then every one of us shall give an account of himself to God. And this will be our faces. Right? <laughs> this is going to be our faces in that moment. You know, as if, as if we didn't know that we were supposed to use our wealth, as if we didn't know we were supposed to use our time, our influence, our talents, our jobs, our assets, his commands in our life to profit him and not to profit ourselves. Right? And that's going to be my face too. I mean, it kind of, it kind of already is my face, but that, that is going to be my face too, right? I have stuff that I need to correct in my own life. God knows how I spend my time. He knows my thoughts. He knows what I wish I was doing when I'm doing something for him, right? He knows exactly how much time in 28 years I've spent playing Pokemon video games. 
And he does not care that, that they keep remaking them and re-releasing them. Like, he doesn't care, you know? Um, guys, we're going to have to account for our own stewardship. And my first key point is, though we own none of our resources, we will take ownership for our stewardship of them. Okay, if we want to own something, there we have it. Our stewardship is ours to own. The, um, the second thing that we're going to be looking at this morning is just in reference to verse 3 of the passage. So what we've seen so far in Luke 16 is uh, we've seen the steward have to take account of his stewardship, right? We then see that he gets fired. Thou mayest be no longer steward. Um, directly following that in verse 3, what we see here is uh, the beginnings of, of the steward trying to, to dodge the responsibility of finding further employment. Okay, and um, the main thing we're going to talk about here is, is what it is that fuels unjust stewardship. So Luke 16, verse 3 says this, Then the steward said within himself, What shall I do? For my Lord taketh away from me the stewardship. I cannot dig. To beg I am ashamed. Okay, so in this verse we see the steward reacting to the situation that he's gotten himself into, right? He has this inner dialogue where, where he reveals to us that he thinks highly of himself, right? He says, I cannot dig to beg, I am ashamed. So he, he reveals to us, he's unwilling to put his hands to the plow, right? He doesn't want to callous up his palms that he's been so carefully keeping, uh, taking care of as he's stewarded the resources of, of more wealthy men. Uh, and he also says that he doesn't want to, he doesn't want to uh, beg because that would, that would make him feel shame, right? He has a reputation before men and obviously upholding that reputation is something that he is concerned about. So, so we see that in, in these statements and really both of these issues, both of these things that he's, he's sharing with us or that we're being told he's thinking, uh, they're issues of a prideful heart, okay? And, and, that, and that makes sense because for anybody to willingly waste the resources of another individual, you know, for us, the resources of, of the God who we call Lord and Savior, um, there has to be some sort of pride and entitlement mixed into our mindset that would allow us to do that. Um, you know, an entitlement and pride, God does not think highly of these things. He, they're, they're the adverses of humility and lowliness, which God does think highly of. Uh, Proverbs 21 verse 4 says, In high look, in a proud heart, in the plowing of the wicked is sin. So we see in Scripture that pride in the hearts of man is sinful. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says that when pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. James chapter 4 verse 6 says, But he giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. You know, being prideful and entitled, uh, it results for, for all people, for, for the church, the world, for all of us and, and myself, it results in us being self-focused and, and self-serving. That's what happens, right? We start to say, well, I deserve more. I can use these things for whatever I want to use them for. And it makes us forget something that Jesus Christ says repeatedly throughout the Gospel of Mark once you get to a certain point. Uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 35, uh, Jesus says it this way, And he sat down, and he called the twelve, and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and servant of all. And the issue of a prideful heart is that it stops that from being real in a believer's life. We can't be 
a self-serving servant to others. We can't be that. Um, you know, Eric Phillips uh, quoted this one time. I heard you say it, like, in LFBI at some point. Um, and I say it all the time, but something I heard Eric say is that the greatest thing a follower of Christ can ever be is a servant to his people, right? The people that Christ laid his life down for, which is, which is all of us. That's the greatest thing we can, we can be as followers of Jesus Christ. And it's, it's a very valuable thing in God's economy to not be self-serving. And that's the opposite of the world's economy, right? But the world's economy and God's economy, they never really lined up, have they? Being somebody who is not self-serving is a way for a believer to profit God with our actions. And that's what just stewardship is. That's good stewardship. Sin, on the other hand, is an action in someone's life that takes place in direct disobedience to God. And it always results in us serving ourselves. And it is the fuel uh, that, that ignites unjust stewardship. So my next key point is that good stewardship will always result in serving others rather than serving self. You know, um, church, we, we're entitled to nothing that God gives us. Nothing. Romans chapter 5, verse 8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We weren't entitled to that. We did not deserve that. We definitely didn't earn that. But, but yet, that was given to us. It's by the grace of God that Jesus Christ, who was God in the flesh, took on the sins of all mankind and died for us. And this was after he lived a life with the same emotions and feelings that we all have that lead us into sin every single day of our lives, right? He still took on the sin of all mankind and died for us after living a spotless life before God so that through his resurrection, we could be made right before God the Father and have eternal life with him. And after that, after all that, we still feel entitled to our stuff and our things and our opinions and our ways and our outcomes. Right? We're so, we're so self-serving. Through Jesus, we, we received the one thing that we needed. We need to profit him with everything else that we have. It's our reasonable service to do that and to live that way. The, uh, the last section we're going to be in today, and we're going to be in it for a little while, is, is verses 4 through 8 of Luke 16. Okay, so what we've seen so far, we've seen that the steward had to account for his stewardship. We see that he got fired from his job. He began to think about what he can do to not have to go get different work, right? We see the beginning works of, of this plot that we're about to read about right here. And, uh, you know, the, the thing that we see in this section of Scripture is um, what our stewardship reveals to the world. Uh, it has an impact, and, and also our stewardship does reveal something to the world about our faith and about what we say about our faith. So Luke 16, verses 4 through 8, says this. I am resolved what to do. Okay, so this is from the perspective of the steward. He says, I am resolved what to do. Aha! That when I am put out of the stewardship, they may receive me into their houses. So he called every one of his Lord's debtors unto him and said unto the first, How much owest thou unto my Lord? And he said, An hundred measures of oil. And he said unto him, Take thy bill, sit down quickly, and write 50. So he's getting a 50% off deal. Pretty decent. Then he said to another, How much owest thou? And he said, An hundred measures, or, yeah, an hundred measures of wheat. And he said unto him, Take thy bill and write four score. So he's, that's that, that four score means 80. So he's getting $20 off. 
um, or whatever currency they were using. But the, the Lord, and then the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Okay, so what we see in these last four verses is, is a, it's a common pattern amongst all people of the world, believers, non-believers, young, old, and in between, right? Like everybody does this type of thing. All too often do we find ourselves slacking off on our stewardship just so we can string together a last minute plan and we call that plan a resolution. We say, ah, we are resolved, right? And it's a plan disguised as a resolution to an issue that we created for ourselves brought on by poor stewardship in the first place. For, for a college student, this is what cramming for finals is, right? That's what it is. You have all semester to learn the material and study it, but you act as if you only had the last 24 hours to actually study for that. I did it. Everybody does it. This is, this is, this is a result of poor stewardship in the life of a college student. Um, so what the unjust steward does in these verses is he decides that he's going to cut some deals with the debtors of his lords, right? He gathers them all together. He finds out how much each of them owe to the rich man. And he says, well, I've got a deal for you. It's a one-time only deal. If you sign now at the discounted price, you can be out from the grip of the rich man's, you know, fist forever. Just like me, free of that guy, you know? And, and it works. Um, he, he makes them sign right then and there. Uh, they get the deal. And he does these favors and it works for him. The unjust steward now has multiple people that he can be taken in by, that he can use the resources of, that he can maybe get employment from, and until he's exhausted the resources of one of them, he'll jump to the next one. And he's, he's got a plan for the near-term future, right? Um, <clears throat> but here's the real kicker. Not only did it work for him, uh, but the, the guy who fired him, the rich man, his lord, is impressed. Right? His, his, uh, the first half of verse 8, we read this. It says, And the Lord commended the unjust steward because he had done wisely. You know, I, the, the rich man is like, Well, by golly, Mr. Unjust Steward you, you're a pretty wise guy. I remember why I hired you in the first place. Maybe, maybe you can come back and work for me down the road, right? And I like to think that the, the steward's like, Well, Mr., Mr. Richman, I appreciate you saying that. Put her here for the road just before we part ways for good. And I, and I like to think that the rich man reaches out to shake the steward's hand. And right before he does it, he just slides his hand through his hair and says, got you again. And then he gets up on a horse and rides off into the sunset. And then the rich man is standing there watching him do it. And he says, that's my horse, isn't it? And, and he's stolen, he's stolen the horse. But it's like, come on, don't be impressed by this guy, right? He's, he's obviously somebody who takes advantage of people and situations. You know, in executing this little resolution of a plan, though, the rich man can't help but acknowledge that he was wise, right? He benefited himself with the situation he was in, and uh, he'll keep doing it. And, and as long as he's able to do that, well, he's wise in the eyes of the rich man. You know, and initially, when I, when I studied this, I was like, I was like what the heck? Why, why, does, why is everything working out for this unjust steward? I read Proverbs 11, verse 2, remember? When pride cometh, then cometh shame. But I don't see any shame. All I see is this guy getting all the praise that he desires that he doesn't deserve. Now, there's actually a simple answer to that question, but it, re it requires that we ask another question. Um, and that question is, who is the praise that he is receiving from, that he's receiving coming from, 
right? We need a little bit of context because we definitely know that God's people in the world react differently to, uh, to, to actions that show accountability in God's word. We know that. John 15, verses 18 and 19, Jesus tells us this. He says, if the world hated you, ye know that it hated me before it hated you. If ye were of the world, the world would love his own. But because ye are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of the world, therefore the world hateth you. So in verse 19, you know, we're, we're revealed to this fact that, that the world loves its own and its own ways. So when it sees its own ways, when they're observed and they work, they give praise for those ways, right? That's how the world works. And that, that warrants the question in all of our lives, anybody who's following Jesus Christ, if the world is constantly praising us for how we are stewarding the situations in our own lives, we, we ought to take a step back and ask ourselves, is our stewardship, or our actions, the things we say, is our behavior reflecting God's true nature? Right? Because if it, if, it, if it weren't, well, you know, the world, the world would love its own. And, and it's not necessary, I'm not, it's not been my own observation that, that Christians are like just going about perfectly acting like, like the world on purpose, right? I think a lot of times it happens because we're not being uh, socially aware of how we should be acting um, in accountability to God's word. But although I've definitely had conversations through um, just talking to people about their faith, whether it be at a skate park or at my job, where um, I'll, I'll prompt a question like, what do you think about Jesus? What do you think about your faith? And the, the reply that I get is oftentimes something along the lines of, especially with guys, it's, it's um, yeah, so I, I, know, I know a Christian, and um, they're, they're pretty cool. I, I got one Christian friend who, who's still, you know, we, we still get high together every every weekend or occasionally or I, or I know I know a Christian friend who I got a, I got a friend who believes in Jesus and he he just doesn't like this one section of scripture and um and that's cool you know to me that's cool and like all of these these statements from from the world are are the same you know that these are just two examples out of a hundred examples where Christians are being praised or just accepted by the world because they don't look any different from it all of these types of remarks are saying the same thing, which is, I know a Christian who openly compromises with sin, and I think it's cool that they're doing that. There's no distinguishing factors in how they act in comparison to the world. And therefore, I accept. I praise even. In church, that's a mistake that's being made at the cost of furthering the true gospel of Jesus Christ. That's wasting God's physical resources. And it's, co it's completely forgetting about the spiritual ones altogether. It's very evident in Scripture that God wants His people to live and steward in a certain manner for the sake of looking peculiar in comparison to the world and how it lives and operates. Leviticus chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. Okay, this is a section of Scripture where the, the Israelites had been led out of captivity in Egypt by Moses. So they've been set free from being slaves in Egypt. They're, they're no longer in Egypt. They're going to the land of Canaan, but they're not there yet. They're in this in-between phase. And in this in-between phase, God tells Moses to tell the Israelites this. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Speak unto the children of Israel, and say unto them, I am the Lord your God. After the doings of the land of Egypt, wherein ye dwelt, ye shall not do. And after the doings of the land of Canaan, whither I bring you, shall ye not do, neither shall ye walk in their ordinances. Verse 4, ye shall do my judgments and keep 
my commandments to walk therein. I am the Lord your God. So God tells his chosen people, the children of Israel, who are, who are going to represent him on earth at this time, right? This is the third book in our Bibles. It's, it's, an old, uh, it's an old part of scripture. But he tells them that they can't look and act like where they came from, right? And they also cannot look and act like where it is they're going to. But they have to look peculiar amongst the nations. And he's making it known right now when they're not before anybody. And how they do that is they keep his judgments and his ordinances. And guys, that's the same thing for us today. We have that same, you know, that same expectation that's supposed to be met in our own lives. Uh, and how we do that is we hold ourselves accountable to the Word of God, to, to what God communicates to us through the Bible. And um, man, why do we do it? Why do we do it? We do it because He is the Lord our God. And I know we're not the Israelites, but if you look at Titus chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, uh, we read this, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and, worldful, and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that, that he might redeem us from all iniquity, from all sin, and to purify himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works. Now that's for us, church. That's for us. Now like I was saying earlier, I don't think the world is constantly looking, or I don't think followers of Christ are constantly looking like the world on purpose. I, since I've given my life to Jesus Christ a handful, a handful of years ago, say and act in a way that looks like the world, you know, I've done that dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of times, right? And when I do it, when I, when I do that, it's not on purpose, it's because I'm not being attentive to this call on my life to be peculiar before the world, right? I'm, I'm weak, I'm, I'm a sinner. Um, but in my weakness, I know that Christ is sufficient for all things. I know that. But here's the point, whether or not we're doing it on accident because of carelessness or unattentiveness, or on purpose because of disobedience, poor stewardship that makes the church look like everyone else says this about our faith. It says that we get to pick and choose what parts of our faith we adhere to. Our evangelism says be a Christian and decide what parts of it you want to be interested in, right? It says be lukewarm, be Laodicean. And, and that representation of Jesus is a mistake that we'll have to account for at the judgment seat. So my next key point is, uh, is this. Poor stewardship works against the gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay. The, uh, the last section of this scripture here that, <clears throat> that we're going to look at is, is just the second half of Luke chapter 16, verse 8. Okay, and, and, and what, it, what it says, and up until this point, again, we've We've seen the steward have to account for his stewardship. We've seen that he gets fired. We see that he comes up with a new plot to not have to do some sort of laborious thing he doesn't want to do, uh, but to, to take the, the cheap way out. Um, and what Jesus says after he mentions that the Lord of the steward commended him, is he says, for the children of this world are in their generation wiser than the children of light. Okay, so what does that mean? We've already talked about these two groups a little bit. Um, there's the children of the world, those, those who do not follow after Jesus Christ. 
then there's the children of the light, the followers of Jesus Christ. And every one of us in this room are a part of one of those two groups. Okay, so these, these two groups, they're different. They're, they're not the same. They have different objectives and interests in life. Um, Jesus is making these, this comparison between the two groups, and what he's saying is that the children of the world are wiser in their generation, right? And by that, he means the time they have here on earth in their age. The children of the world are wiser with the time they have here on earth in comparison to the children of the light, those following after Jesus, as it concerns what their interests are, right? So we see this example that the steward you know, gives to us in Luke chapter 16, verses 1 through 8. He has, a, he has a sour situation, and he makes lemonade, and then he drinks all the lemonade himself. Um, this, this comment is from, from Jesus toward us, and it's, it's kind of a burn. I mean, it, it's, it's not kind of a burn. It's a pretty severe burn. Uh, it's, it's a hard truth is what it is. You know, you think about how the world lives and operates, and, and the children of the world make better investments for their futures. They seek out more opportunities for their agendas. They fight harder and evangelize more for their own causes. They're highly ecstatic about spreading their own individual truths. And for what? At the end of their generation, their time, at the end of their lives, they'll be able to carry none of what they established here on earth into what's next. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 7 says, For we brought nothing into this world, and, as it, can, uh, and it is certain we can carry nothing out yet they're still wiser in their generation. They're better at being self-serving than we are at being servant leaders sometimes. So children of the light, in our unjust stewardship, um, you know, what we have to take notice of is that we too are oftentimes better at making the same types of moves and living in the same exact way that, that the world is. Right? And, and, and what that concerns is is, is not what our interests and, and, and objectives in life are supposed to be, but it, it concerns what they actually are. All right? And what's revealed in that is that what concerns Jesus Christ doesn't always concern us. Right? It doesn't. But for those of us who have eternal life in Jesus Christ, God's Word tells us this in Colossians chapter 3, verse 4. It says, If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth, on the right hand of God. It says, set your affection on things above and not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ who is your life shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So as stewards of the mysteries of God and the manifold grace of God, our focus cannot be on what's next and what's temporary, and, and what's in our own generation. We can't reflect that, the same things that the steward from Luke 16, verses 1 through 8, shows the world, right? Don't be an unjust steward. We must be preoccupied with what is eternal, and on things above, and using all that God has given us, all the resources that he's given us, physical and non-physical, um, in this life to move the gospel of Jesus Christ forward. That's what we should be doing. And through that, you know, what's revealed to the world is that our stewardship is different from the world's. Our objectives, our goals, they're different from the world because we're held accountable to God's word. So my, my last key point um, is this. Right stewardship results in increased eternal value and not in temporary gain. 
Right stewardship results in increased eternal value and not in temporary gain. Um, so, you know, I, I, that, that's it. That's my message today. And, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to close this out here in just a second. But uh, worship team, if you want to come up um, and close this out in, in worship, you can, you can start heading up here. But before we leave today, guys, um, we've got some time. Uh, it, sh- it should be known that we are so fortunate. We're so fortunate for God's grace and mercy in our lives. The fact that there's nothing we can do to impress God with our actions, there's nothing that we can do in our stewardship to be made perfect before God, none of that is actually on us. We can't do it. We are fortunate because of that. And with all that fortune that we have in Jesus Christ, that, we, that was given to us by Jesus Christ, we can so easily forget that Jesus Christ died serving us. He literally died serving us. He gave his life for us. And for those of us in this room that have given their lives to Jesus Christ, who have believed in their hearts on his sacrifice and on his resurrection, that have confessed, yes, Jesus Christ was God in the form of a man and he was sent to earth to die for us so that we wouldn't have to spend an eternity separated from him in hell because of our sin. For, tho- for those of you um, who identify with that, let's, let's let today be a day of repentance. Okay, we're going to have counselors up here um, who, are, who are ready to, to pray with you and, and, and repent with you. Um, let's repent, guys, for, for how we've not been serving Jesus, Jesus Christ in kind, for how we've been living in a way that says what's ours is ours, and, you know, for, for being prideful and entitled for, with what is actually his, you know, for showing the world that we're not so different from them and for, for living for nothing more on a daily basis than, than temporary gain. Let's, let's repent of all this stuff and the way we've been living. We should use this time to get right before God. So, so please, come, come speak to a counselor up here once worship has started. And for those of you in the room um, who, who have not given their lives to Jesus Christ, who don't have a specific moment where, you've, where you can point to and say, that's the moment that I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Uh, these counselors that are going to be up here, they, they want to talk to you as well, right? And they're, they're going to be ready to show you in God's word. They're not going to tell you in their own words. They're not going to share with you their own opinion. They're going to show you in God's word how it is that, that you and me and everyone else have fallen short of what's right and true on our own. We were born into that. Um, but, but in knowing that, that our lives are riddled with self-service and sin, um, there's hope. There's hope in Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ alone. So please, guys, while praise is happening, uh, believers and non-believers, come forth. Let's use this time to get right with God and to find out who God actually is. I'm going to pray us out. Um, God, thank you for today, Lord. Um, we're, so, we're so grateful for you and for your word, uh, for what it reveals to us, God. And, and God, we, we repent for, um, for our stewardship, Lord. And um, God, we're just so, we're so blessed that there's nothing we can, that we can do on our own to be right before you. And God, for the sacrifice of your son, um, God, you know, we've been saved and for, for some, they can be saved today. Um, God, you are good uh, and you are for us. And uh, God, there's nothing, you know, there's nothing we can do to, to share with you our appreciation of that. But God, we love you and uh, we pray this all in Jesus' name.